midst of World War II, C.S. Lewis gave four radio broadcasts over the BBC, which would later be compiled into a book entitled Mere Christianity. This book inspired my journey to know why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Hello there. If this episode is not 15 hours long, I will consider it a success. I had so much stuff in my outline, and so I had to cut out a lot. Today is a really big topic, not just for me in my past, but for a lot of people. And here's the basic question or or, or idea. Eternal punishment in hell seems like a really severe punishment for disobeying a few commandments, maybe telling a few lies, you know, disobeying your parents every once in a while. Um, For most of us, we just kind of commit these mild sins in life. And overall, the the common thought about people is that overall, we're pretty good people. So eternal punishment in hell just seems really severe. And so that's what we're going to struggle with today. And I'm going to give you some things that I realized about God's judgment that changed the way I thought about God's judgment as as it's taught in the Bible. Now, that assumes a few things. For today's episode, when when I say God, I am assuming the God of the Bible, the Christian God. Uh, So we've made a big jump, if you're following along. Last episode was why I'm not an atheist, but I didn't really cover why I believe in the Christian God. And so I'm, I'm making a big jump. And then in later episodes, and I'm really excited about these, I'm going to cover why I do not believe in other religions, you know, why I believe Christianity is true. So just hang with me and just, I realize that I'm assuming a lot and I haven't really shown you why yet. So just hang with me. Now, you can connect with me in a few different ways. I have an email specifically for this podcast. It's bearchristianity at gmail.com. And I would love to have questions or comments now, so if you hear something that you completely disagree with, then please send me an email. I would love to hear from you because I, I'm constantly re-evaluating my own beliefs. I want to know what's true. And so if you disagree and you think I'm incorrect, then I am open to hear from you. I would love to hear from you because I want to know what's true. I don't just want to believe something just be- just because it makes me feel good. I want to know what's true. So please share those with me. If you have a question about something I said, or you just need more clarity um, or a comment about this podcast, then I'd love to hear those as well. So you can email me at bearchristianity at gmail.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram at the real bear Martin. Now I don't post a ton on Instagram, but uh, that's a good way for you to message me as well. So love to hear from you there. Now, also, I would love to hear some questions for me to cover in a special segment that I really enjoy. It's called A Bear in the Woods. So this is only my second actual full episode. I haven't really put this podcast out into the world yet, and so I don't really have a whole lot of listeners. And so I'm making up a few of these questions to get us started. But this is where I just answer sort of common uh, maybe current event type questions that you have, uh, pretty pretty light. So here's the question. This I was inspired by this question because I had this conversation with one of my patients the other day, and so here it is. Bear, what do you think about postage stamp prices increasing from fifty five? 
the 58 cents. Now, this is a massive deal. Just breaking news, this is a massive deal for our country. Uh, We have enjoyed over the last several years peace and prosperity in America, um, a lot of unity, and this could be the thing that sort of rips our country apart. Uh, there is there is science on both sides of this issue, and so it, it, it is really a, uh, a dividing line. And so uh, there's a few things that I want us to think about. First off, I did not realize that people still used stamps. You know, I, I know businesses have, have a little machine that sort of, you know, puts a little stamp on, on envelopes and they're sending out a, a bunch of them at a time, but like personal stamp usage. I didn't know that that was a, still a thing. There is a, there's email now where you can sign up for free and you can send as many messages as you want for free. So I would encourage you if you didn't know about that to get an email address. <laughs> I know, I know my mom is so mad right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm letting her down. Mom, please do not unsubscribe from my podcast. Uh, my mom has beautiful handwriting and loves to sit down and write letters. And I do cherish those letters, mom. So um, so I don't want to discourage you there. But <laughs> but uh, it, just think about it this way. If you're concerned about a three cent increase in postage prices, then if you have 20 letters that you want to write, just make one of those an email and then you have covered your price difference. So that's a simple way to think about it. Now, for, for further proof for further defense, I'd like to bring in my good friend, Cliff Clavin from Cheers, everybody. Cliff Clavin. Actually, I wish I knew Cliff Clavin. Uh, spontaneous. This is spontaneous uh, double whammy here. So I'm going to do a Bear's Biscuits inside of A Bear in the Woods. Bear's Biscuits are little treats for my listeners. And here's a treat. The show Cheers. It's on Hulu right now. Check it out. Cheers is such a witty, clever little show. I love all the characters in there. And Cliff Clavin, if you've never seen the show, is a mailman who knows, well, he thinks he knows everything about everything. He just has all these little random facts that he's constantly sharing. And uh, I actually watched like like a bonus thing on Cheers. And at first, they were writing these in for him, the the writers of the show. And then he just started coming up with all these random facts on his own. So they just let him run with it. So anyway, fun fact. And I hope you enjoy Cheers. Check it out. All right. So back to the postage stamps. Guys, let's not let this divide us. Okay. It's three cents. If someone told you that they would pick up a letter from your house, take it across the country and deliver it to your friend's mailbox in California... And they said they would only charge you 58 cents to do that. You would be thrilled. So think about it that way, maybe. All right. Well, that's just my opinion. This has been A Bear in the Woods. Okie doke. I hope that was fun because we have a really tough episode ahead of us. Let me just go ahead and say at the get-go, this is a tough one to listen to. A lot of deep concepts we're going to talk about sin and God's judgment. So it is, it's just tough. And so I would just ask you to hang with me because the next episode, I'm, it goes really well with this one. And at the end of that one, I'm going to wrap it all up and put a nice little pretty bow on it. And it is a beautiful picture that uh, of a theme that we see throughout the Bible. And so just hang with me. Now, I mentioned that there's two main 
things I realized about God's judgment that helped me think about it a different way. First off, God's judgment is actually necessary. So let's think about The Lion King. I think The Lion King was the first movie I ever saw in theaters. Best I can remember, it was released in 1994. And we love stories like The Lion King. So everybody knows the opening scene, right? Rafiki's on Pride Rock and he holds up Simba. So this son is born to the Lion King and he's, he's looking forward to becoming king himself. But evil Uncle Scar gets in the way, right? So he has the king Mufasa assassinated and he scares Simba. So Simba runs off. And so Scar takes over as king of the land. So we, we like this idea in The Lion King of, it, you know, it kind of looks like Scar's getting away with it, but there's this promise that Simba one day is going to come back and he's going to restore, you know, peace and prosperity to the land. And, uh, you know, that you can also, you know, I think that's one of the reasons people love Star Wars as well. You know, it seems like evil's getting away with it, but there's this little hope, you know, out there somewhere. So we love stories like this um, because we, 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 think, okay, Scars looks like he's getting away with it, but he's going to get his. You know, when, when the rightful king comes back, he, Scar's going to get what he deserves. Now, to, to take it a little bit more serious, have you ever heard someone say, or maybe you've said this yourself, and, and you're talking about someone who's wronged you or wronged your friend, you say this about them, I hope they burn in hell. Have you ever heard that phrase? I, I definitely have heard people say that. What does this what does this phrase imply? It implies a hope for future judgment. So whether people admit it or not, they are expecting or, or hoping that people who wrong them or wrong their friends will eventually get theirs, will eventually be punished. Because we want justice. You know, again, we may not, we may not realize it, we may not admit it on the surface, but it's little phrases like that. I hope they burn in hell. That you know, at, at at in our depths, we want people to get what they deserve when they wrong us or wrong our friends. So we like this idea of a supreme being who's sort of keeping track, and that way no one gets away with it. We we absolutely hate when that happens when someone wrongs us, and it just seems like they get away and they don't face any punishment at all. We just hate that idea. We we fear that that would happen. And so we all want this justice. And, and, and so biblically, you get it. God is a perfect judge. He sees all and knows all and, and will punish sinners. Um, so you may be thinking here, well, I thought God was a God of love and a God of mercy. And I don't mean, well, I said that in kind of a mocking voice. God is a God of love and mercy, but you can't only, you can't just have love and mercy. So let me set something up for you here. Imagine you are getting a birthday, your kid wants a PlayStation or just something expensive. So you're at the store and you you get that for their birthday, it's late at night, and you're walking out to your car and someone comes up from behind you, bashes you on the head with, with like a big wrench or hammer or something like that, takes this uh, PlayStation, steals your keys, steals your car, drives away, and you're just left there bleeding in the parking lot. Well, thanks to video surveillance, they're able to find out who the the criminal was. And so a few months later, you have your court date and you walk into court, you're maybe on a cane or a walker, you you have neurological damage, you have to go to physical therapy each week, you haven't been able to work, you're having these like chronic 
headaches every single day of your life. I mean, this has just been a huge life-changing event for you. And you stand before the judge and the, you know, the criminal's over there on, on his side. And the judge says to the criminal, he says, you know, I'm a judge of love and mercy, and therefore you are completely forgiven. You are completely pardoned of, of the wrong that you did because I'm a judge of love and mercy. Well, you know, you, as the person who was wronged, you would think there's no way that is a good judge. You know, the, the criminal could say he's a judge of love and mercy, but you have gotten no justice for the wrong that was done to you. So you cannot have a good judge who is only about love and mercy. All right? If, if the judge, if let's, let's, you know, take it to, to the example of God's judgment. If God loved you, he would give you justice for the wrong that was done to you. So God's judgment and God's wrath towards sin and sinners is an outflowing of his holiness and love. All right? Now, holy means set apart, unique, different. God sees everything different than the way we see it. He is holy. He is distinct. Uh, he is creator, and we are his creation. And I'm going to talk about more on, on this holiness concept a little later. Um, so his holiness and his love is, is what sort of triggers his, just, his justice and wrath towards sin. All right? So think about uh, this way. A husband's intense love for his wife is the reason for his wrath towards someone who mistreats her. So love is the, the primary quality, which is always there. He, he's, he, you know, if they're out on a date or whatever, I mean, his, his love for his wife is always there. But the wrath and, you know, we could say judgment or justice or whatever comes to the front when his wife is mistreated. So the wrath of the husband is the result of his love. And so you can, you know, again, all these illustrations are just ways of trying to explain a very complex God of the Bible. But you can think about it that way, that, you know, God's love for his creation is what spurs his justice and his wrath when people wrong, when, when people are wronging his creation. So here's the catch. You have wronged other people. So if God loves them, then you deserve to be punished for wronging them. And we we never think this way. We want justice for those who have wronged us, and we want mercy when we mess up a little bit. When we wrong others, we want mercy because we think, well, I'm a pretty good person. So if I, you know, I deserve a few breaks here and there because overall I'm a pretty good person. And so I, you know, God, why can't you just forgive these, these little things because I'm a pretty good person? Well, who gets to determine the standard? Who determines the cut line of who gets justice and who gets mercy? Because if you think you can determine that, then you might as well be God yourself if you're the one who gets to set that standard. So, you know, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But when we determine who should receive God's judgment and who should receive his mercy, then we are trying to be God ourselves. We are holding God to our own standards. We're basically forming this imaginary God who does our bidding, but how dare he try to judge us? We're just sort of making up this God that we are comfortable with. And so we've got to realize that it is we all 
deserve God's judgment because we've we have all sinned. Now, there's you know, now we're going to step into this second thing. So I said God's judgment is necessary and it is and in a way we want it. We want um we want a God out there who is seeing the wrong that's being done and punishing those who do wrong. So, you know, jumping back to atheism for a second, no one gets justice in atheism. It, it it's so atheism doesn't solve any problems <laughs> because at uh, and I, I use this example of Hitler at the end of Hitler's life he turns to dirt the the Jews that he killed turns to dirt no one gets justice for anything so atheism doesn't solve anything about that and so you know when we talk about God's judgment uh, it is necessary it's something that we want whether we we admit it or not um, we want people to be judged. We just don't want judgment for ourselves. And the reason we don't want judgment for ourselves is the second point here is I was greatly underestimating God's view of sin. We just don't think that our sin is bad enough to warrant judgment. We, we always have this way of excusing ourselves. So when we talk about sin and the Bible, people really misunderstand the the laws in the Bible. So if you weren't familiar with the Bible and you started reading the Bible, or a lot of people without even knowing the Bible, they just they they automatically don't like it. And so the God they 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 make God to be something like some nitpicky school teacher with all these little rules, and if you don't follow all the little rules, perfect. Even though a lot of them are just pointless. Then you know God's this this little school teacher who punishes you for all these these um, tiny little infractions, right? That is that is a gross misunderstanding of the Bible. Jesus was asked, you know, "What is the greatest commandment?" And he answered this. He said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." And the second is is like it: love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, "All of the commandments." that we are held to follow can be wrapped up in those two concepts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. If, and so let's, let's really simplify it. Based on these two really basic commandments, are you a good person? And so it's tough to do an illustration of the first one, love the Lord your God, but love your neighbor as yourself. Let's think about that one. Are you a good person? If we could somehow record your thoughts over the next couple of weeks, we could record every thought that you have and everything that you do in secret, okay? So we record everything. And then in a couple of weeks, we could get everybody that knows you, everybody that interacts with you in a stadium, and we could display all of those thoughts on a, on a big screen projection. Do you think people would think you're a better person or a worse person than their original thoughts of you? Another way to ask that is, would you ever want that to happen? And for me, the answer is no, absolutely not. And, and I think we would all come to that answer because we all know that we think things that we don't say out loud. We have this smile on our face, but we are not thinking smiling thoughts in our, in our hearts. And so, you know, if you, if you need more on this, this is another little special segment I have called Bears Books. And there is a really great little book on this concept of, are you really a good person? It's, it's by R.C. Sproul, who is one of my favorite Bible teachers. And the title is, Are People Basically Good? 
And it's a short book. You could probably read it in about 30 minutes. It's also free. Uh, the Kindle version is free as of when I look. And so I'll put a link in the episode notes. But if you, need, if you want more information on this, check out that book. So we're talking about your, your heart and the things that you think internally. And that's what God sees when, when he's determining um, or, or you know, when he's determining how good of a person you are. He's looking at your heart. It, it, the Bible says that man looks on the outward stuff, but God looks at the heart. So I started last section talking about the Lion King, how we want this returning king to come and make things right. And if the Bible, and obviously the Bible doesn't talk about the Lion King, but if the Bible could tell us that we are a certain character in the Lion King, it would actually be Scar. That's what the Bible tells us about ourselves. We are scar. So often we try to identify with the hero of the story. Maybe we think of ourselves as Simba and we've just got to sort of figure out our true identity. And once we figure out that, then we can conquer the world. Or we identify with the victim like Nala, who is, who's under this evil rule, but we're waiting for the returning king to come and make things right. That we, we sort of see ourselves in those roles. We never see ourselves, though, as the villain. But the Bible teaches us that our sin makes us enemies with God. We are like Scar. In our pride, we say, I don't want your rules, God. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that you are king. I want to be king. I want to do things the way I want to do them. And so just like Scar didn't want Mufasa to be king, and he wanted to do things the way he wanted them, that's the way we are. We we want to reject God and do things our way. And that is that is betrayal. That is treason against God. That's that's the type of sin that that the pride in our hearts causes us to, to make. And so if you are, if this just seems crazy, if you are not convinced uh, that sin is separating you and making you an enemy of God, I I mean I used to think the same way. And, and I don't mean to come across as, you know, you're a horrible person and, um, you know, that sort of thing. But that's what the Bible teaches us. And it also teaches us that only God can reveal that to us. And so I can't, I can't be God. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to help you understand it, but only God can reveal that. And sometimes it takes some time. So I would beg you just to think about some of the things that I'm saying, and I and I pray that eventually God would open up your eyes to see that you are a sinner and you need a savior because left to your sin, you are an enemy of God. And it is not it is not good to be an enemy of God. All right. So I told you I'm underestimating God's view of sin. And I did this in two ways. One, I underestimated God's value. So punishment is usually determined by the value of the thing you've committed the crime against. I know that is super wordy. Let me give you an example. What is the punishment for killing a cat? Now, some people think you, you deserve a reward for that. I'm not going to be that mean. Um, but what's the punishment for killing a cat? And what's the punishment for killing a human being? They're different because the human being has greater value. So the, the thing that has greater value deserves the more severe punishment. So what would be the punishment for treason against the infinite God of the universe, your creator? The, the answer would be a very severe punishment because sin, again, is treason against God. 
You're saying, I don't want to follow your ways. I want to do things my way. And how dare you try to judge me for it? So, you know, something that comes off of this is that this severe punishment is you may be thinking, okay, I, I mean, I, I sort of get it. I sort of get that sin against God should, should have a severe punishment, but hell forever? I mean, is that, is that, is that fair? Is that, or is that too severe? For one little lie, we get hell forever? Uh, here's the thing about hell. People in hell are separated from all of God's goodness. They're separated from all his goodness, and their hatred and rebellion against God just just seethes. It just grows. They a person in hell hates God, and so they they're actually compounding their sin. Um, think about a a kid who is never disciplined and j- just given exactly what he wants. He just he he gro- he grows worse and worse and worse. As a one year old, a five year old, a ten year old, that kid just becomes more selfish and prideful and and just. Lots of qualities that you don't want in kids. And so when God steps away, because when you're on earth, you have, Christians call it common grace. You, everybody experiences at least a little bit of God's goodness. And when that is taken away, people in hell hate God. And so they, in a way, they keep sinning, which leads to this forever concept. So I underestimated God's value when thinking about sin and I, I also underestimated God's view of sin. And this is my, my last point here. So I underestimated God's view of sin. Let me do an illustration here. This is a bit of a thinker. It works in my head, and I really hope that it comes across to you. <laughs> All right. So imagine a father who has a daughter with a physical disability, and it affects the way she walks. So the father drops his daughter off at school, and, and as she's walking in, he looks in the rearview mirror and he sees some kids right behind her that are making fun of the way she's walking. And, I mean, of course, this breaks his heart, and he wants those kids punished. You know, in a way, he wants to get out of the car and and go get them, you know. He wants those kids punished because of the way they're mistreating his daughter. However, as he drives off, he probably will soon realize that he also made fun of people when he was a kid. So he can sort of relate to the mean kids because he did that as well. And so they're both wrong. It's wrong to make fun of kids or, or anybody, but you know he can relate to that. Now, let's take it up a level, and I, I'm sorry for creating a, a graphic illustration here, but it, it's to, to make a point. This same father and daughter, now imagine that daughter has been sexually abused. So obviously, the father would want punishment for the the person who assaulted his daughter, um, but he has this father has never thought of sexually abusing a child. I mean, the the thought of that is so foreign to him. He's it, it's just disgusting, despicable. He just can't ever even imagine himself doing that. And so he his his mind was pretty unified with those kids who were making fun because he's done that before. So he can sort of relate, but to the sexual abuser, he he just he can't even fathom that. I mean, he's he's so different from that that he just hates that sin. It's wicked, disgusting to him, and he wants the most extreme punishment for people who would commit that. So now think about God. God's holiness 
sets him apart so much from our sin that it, it's, it's a billion times more, exponentially more separate from this father and the sexual abuser. That's the way God sees even small sins in our life. His, his holiness is so separate from that. His holiness is like a super bright light in darkness. I mean, they cannot exist together. The darkness cannot stand against the bright light. That's the way God looks at sin. And and often that's not the way we look at sin. You know, we we say, well, I'm not a, you know, I'm not perfect, but neither is he and neither is she. And we're sort of all in this group together and we, we get comfort from knowing, okay, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. But when we see sin the way God sees it, even the smallest sins are horrible and, and evil. And, and if left on our own, that, that small sin will become more and more evil eternally. And so again, I know this is all really deep concepts, but in closing, when we think of sin, sometimes or often we may think about Adam and Eve, you know, arguably the, the most popular sin ever. They disobeyed God thinking that this fruit would allow them to be like God. That's what Satan told them. You know, God's sort of hiding this secret from you. If you eat this, you'll be like God and have the knowledge of God. And so they they ate this fruit, and then immediately when they did, they realized they were naked, they had shame and guilt, and so they committed the first religious act. They got some fig leaves and tried to cover themselves. And people do all kinds of stuff now and throughout history to sort of give them this idea of peace with God, you know, all kinds of religious ceremonies to to make people feel good. Uh, but God, God, only God can forgive sin, and it is only accomplished in His way. So God could have just killed them immediately because He had told them, in the day that you eat the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. So God was perfectly just just to wipe them out. But God is a God of mercy. Now, His mercy is not required. He is not required to give us mercy. If mercy was required, it would not be mercy. That's, that's in a different category. If, someone, if your mom gave you $100 and said, now you have to give this to your brother, when you give it to your brother, you're not doing that out of the kindness of your heart. You're just doing it because you're required to do it. So God's mercy is not something required, and it is not something that we can demand. But often that's our thought, you know, how dare you judge me, God? I deserve mercy, and you must give it to me. So only God can forgive sin, and again, it's got to be accomplished in His way, and God said those fig leaves will not work because God's way is different, and, and God said, I'm going to, God killed an animal and covered Adam and Eve with the skins of animal to cover their sin. And that starts a huge theme in the Bible, and it's this. Something innocent had to die in order to cover the sin of the guilty. Now, I like to think that this animal was a lamb. And hopefully you are thinking a little deeper about the sin problem that we all have. Because if God exists, He has the right to establish the laws that His creation must live by. And if you break those laws then he is perfectly just to punish all those who break the law. And, and God is a perfect judge. He sees all and knows all, and he will perfectly punish sin because every single person deserves that justice from God. He can't be that judge that just looks the other way, like I talked about when, you know, with the, the criminal who mugged you. 
God cannot be that way. His holiness and his perfection requires that he perfectly punishes all sin. He will, he, he, like the, the bright light in darkness, he will not allow sin in his presence at all. And so his perfection requires that he perfectly punishes sin. And here is the big dilemma. How can God perfectly punish all sin, yet also be a God of love and mercy? And the answer is beautiful, and it's unique to Christianity. It's one of the main reasons I believe Christianity is true. And so in our closing verse here, remember I said I I like to think that this animal God used to cover Adam and Eve was a lamb. Uh, This verse is one of my favorite in the Bible because there are some big, big concepts behind this simple verse. It's John 129. John the Baptist is preaching to a group of people, and he sees Jesus walking towards them, and he says this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so next week, I will tell you about the Lamb of God.